0: The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Jean Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com/slash/everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barons is qualitative and quantitative including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engines' Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now here's Jean Chatsky.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Everyday Wealth. There's this short video clip that's been making the rounds lately on social media. It's actually a piece that's pulled from a, a longer interview from a few years back, but it's appropriate for today's show, and so I just wanted to tell you about it. It centers on Shaquille O'Neal, legendary basketball star, Shaquille O'Neal. And in the video, he talks about what he did with his first big paycheck. Before he was drafted by the Orlando Magic all the way back in 92, he signed an endorsement deal with a sports card company worth a million dollars. And then he proceeded to spend it all in one day. The first thing he did was to buy himself a brand new Mercedes. Then he bought one for his mom and for his dad. And then he bought pretty much everything else. He bought clothes and jewelry and a stereo system and a whole bunch of high-tech gadgets. And here's the thing. Even after all this spending, based on the math, he figured he had plenty of money left wrong. As he put it, he said, when you're young and you don't have a lot of business savvy, there are two things you forget about, FICA and sales tax. So a couple of days later, he received a call from his bank. It was the manager of the bank who happened to be a family friend. And that's when Jack found out that despite that $1 million windfall, he was now $80,000 in the hole. In the years that followed, he made it a point to get educated about money and finance and to surround himself with financial advisors who have his back. And he did a great job by all accounts. He's a regular fixture on the lists of the world's richest athletes, and his net worth is reported to be somewhere north of about $400 million. But back in 1992, he did what a lot of people do when they abruptly receive a large sum of money for the very first time. He blew it without any forethought or real planning. He had a touch of what experts call sudden wealth syndrome. And a little bit later in the show today, we're going to talk to Dr. Stephen Goldbart, the person who coined this term, to dig into the psychological impact that sudden wealth can bring. But for right now, I want to talk to my friend Andy Smith. He is a wealth planner at Edelman Financial Engines. And I want to talk about what happens when you get a windfall? What happens when you get some sudden wealth? Nice to see you, by the way.
2: Always great to see you.
1: So I'm guessing not many of our listeners are superstar athletes.
2: You never know, right? I mean, their athletes are peculiar. I mean, You know, LeBron <laughs> could be listening, Messi could be listening, so... Sky's the limit.
1: All right. Let's just assume that most of our listeners aren't, but that doesn't mean that they will never or have never found themselves with a big chunk of unexpected money.
2: Right. And so you look at kind of the typical ways where you see these big windfalls, these big kind of influxes of money. And so it could be, what it could be inheritance. Hmm. It could be the sale of a business, a big equity event. Um, You could have stock option grants, Um, you're exercising, you know, some different restricted stock within the firm, maybe a lawsuit, right? Uh, You could win the lottery, you know, you could just raw chance, right? Everybody wants to think that they're going to find this Picasso you know, at a yard sale, it's usually dogs playing poker. But you know, it's just whatever it is. There are times when you just have this massive amount of wealth coming at you.
1: I am always convinced that my yard sale purchases are worth a lot of money, but but <laughs> Keep never telling yourself ne- that. Never yet. But yeah. there's also you know divorce. That's one a lot of people forget about.
2: Yeah, and that one's odd, right? Because here, you know, you're just kind of getting this portion of the wealth that you already possess. But if you think about it in practical real life terms, often there's this situation where one spouse a lot of times isn't involved with the family finances. So they have a rough idea about how much is there, Mm -hmm. right, in the family coffers, but they might also have no idea. So either way, since that wealth has always been out of sight, out of mind, you know, after this divorce, when they are solely responsible now for all of the finances in front of them, yeah, it may truly feel for the first time like there's this just massive amount of money coming at you.
1: So there are a lot of different ways that this can happen, but by far, inheritance is probably the most common. That is correct. And, and it's problematic as well because there's been a lot of research on inheritances and studies have found that about 70% of the time, family assets are just lost from one generation to the next. And by the time you get to the third generation, 90% of the time, the money is just gone.
2: They say shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations.
1: Yeah. So in order to make sure that you don't end up as one of those statistics, you need a plan. You need to take some steps. I mean, my advice to people is always do nothing for six months to a year, you know, get some advice, but that's not really a full plan. What do you tell people when they come into some money so that they don't end up like a young Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah,
2: and and I'll talk about that cooling off period a little bit later, but the idea is, you know, first you really need to understand kind of the source of this inheritance. Where is the money coming to you or how is the money coming to you? So did it come from, just a straight-up inherited IRA, okay? Are you getting this account? You got to figure out what to do with it. Is it coming from cash value life insurance? Is it coming from an annuity? Is it coming from real estate? Is it coming from stock? Is it coming from some other asset? So once you understand the source, then you can look at the other things, namely tax implications.
1: Well, let's start with that inherited IRA. That's very, very common. My husband inherited an IRA. There are rules involved.
2: There are rules. So if you are receiving an inherited IRA, it's important to know what's inside of it, right? What did the um, deceased have? Are you going to keep it or sell it? Are you going to change the allocation? You know, what made sense for mom may not always make sense for you. So, you know, there's, there's all of that kind of tactical investment conversation that happens. A lot of times what people need to understand or want uh, help understanding is, what do I need to be aware of with taxes? And what do I need to be involved with withdrawal strategies? And to that end, it depends on what type of beneficiary that you are. If you are a spousal beneficiary mm-hmm. of an IRA, that means you can treat the assets as though they are your own. So if you are of required minimum distribution age, you kind of get all of that and you can continue to treat that account and and calculate those RMDs based on your lifetime. If you are a non-spouse beneficiary, then what happens is you have 10 years to withdraw the money. You get the money tax-free, right? But there's the clock that starts. And so within that 10-year period of time, Uncle Sam and the IRS want you to have just completely – Depleted that particular account.
1: What if it's not a traditional IRA, but it's a Roth IRA?
2: Uh, same thing. So if you're a spousal beneficiary, it's yours. You can treat it as though it's your asset um, and you don't necessarily have to take distributions. If you are a non spouse beneficiary, there's no tax implication, but you still got to have the thing drained within a 10 year period of time.
1: Okay. How about if the inheritance is in the form of a stock portfolio?
2: So there's a couple of different things that are involved with this. Um, a big issue is the emotional issue here. Um, you know, parents loved the stock and you have to decide, am I going to hold it or am I going to do something with it? And the idea is, you know, daddy didn't buy Exxon because he wanted you to have Exxon forever. Daddy bought Exxon because it was a good investment at the time and he was trying to set the kids up for some sort of better financial situation after he's gone. That's a really hard mental break to work through because you have this thing and all daddy ever talked about was this Exxon stock and it's like a bajillion dollars now. Right. And what do we do with it? So there's the emotional issue. There's also this danger of uh, a, a very concentrated stock position. So what I mean by that is, You know, let's say that somebody passes, they have, you know, $2 million in one company stock. Well, when you build these investments and when you have an an account, you diversify to diversify business risk, right? You can never diversify away market risk because if you're in the market, you're taking on the risk of the market. But you diversify so that not all of your success is tied up in the success of one business, well, when you have massive amounts of shares of one particular stock, then you're dealing with, you know, basically all of your hopes and dreams and successes are tied into the successes of this one fund or this one particular stock. If it's 5 to 10% of your overall wealth, great, keep it, you know, but if it's more than that, you need to kind of work through a logical uh, tax-efficient drawdown strategy so that you're not just creating more pain and suffering than than you need to with this massive windfall of
1: dollars. When you inherit stocks, people talk about a step up in basis, which is incredibly valuable. At least it can be incredibly valuable. Can you just talk about the taxation involved?
2: Sure. So it basically you take the date of death, okay, and your basis now what you kind of own it at the price of acquisition is the price of the investment as of the date of that person's death. So grandma could have been born in 1933, she passes, she could have been buying stock, you know, since she was 25, right? so she has different cost basis all through her lifetime. Your basis, if you receive the stock, is now the value of the stock or the, the investment as of the date of her passing. So subsequent gains can and will be taxed. Right. But you're not it's not going back to the original acquisition date, the original acquisition price of when grandma was buying these stocks.
1: And the same is true if you inherit a house or a piece of property. Right.
2: Right. So the date of death valuation is going to give you that step up in basis. You still have to decide, am I going to keep the house? Am I going to rent the home and be a landlord? Do I already have a home? And so am I going to move and sell my other one? Yes. The date of death, uh, you know, valuation is still in play. But when you're dealing with hard assets and real property, there's some other things that you really have to consider as you're trying to figure out what happens or what I want to do with these inherited
1: assets. I bet right now with mortgage rates at 7%, there are a lot of people thinking I inherit a house. I am keeping that house. Yeah. Right. How have these sorts of events, this sort of sudden wealth impacted your clients?
2: Uh, (laughs) All across the board. Right. So I, I've seen a lot of people become very hypersensitive and kind of completely self-aware of every last single item of cash flow in their entire financial picture, right? So they've never worried about their own money before, but now that they have all of these new dollars, you know, with more money – there's more worries, there's more issues, and they're just they're afraid to do anything, right? Because they're afraid to do something because they think they're gonna screw up and they don't wanna screw up, but it happens. And and so they're just kind of hypersensitive now about this money.
1: Well, especially, you know, if this is money that came from a parent or a grandparent, you feel some sense of responsibility. You right. don't you don't wanna blow it because blowing it means essentially letting them down. But the other scenario that I've watched happen is a big windfall comes your way and all of a sudden you're no longer like your friends you're no longer in the same economic sphere as right. your friends and that can be really scary too
2: well yeah you're you're apart you know and you're different and you know you're not who you are anymore you're the recipient of this inherited sum so you've got people who are hypersensitive there are people who immediately want to consider charitable giving You know, whatever the amount is, I'm going to give 10%, 20% to one or multiple charities, right? So we work through those issues. A lot of clients are just totally humbled by the event. I mean, not to wax political and social here, but what we see a lot of on the news are the far extremes, Mm -hmm. right? The incredible wealth, the incredible poverty. The incredible, you know, one side of the political spectrum, the other side. Most of Americans are just, we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're trying to raise our family. We're trying to be good kids and help our parents age and all of these different things. And so when we have these things happen to us, we're humbled, right? And we just want to do good. We want to do the right thing. And that's a lot of what I see from clients. So they want to honor the donor. And they want to continue to make good choices. So what do they do? They want to get out of debt as quickly as possible. Not the, oh, I've got a mortgage and this, and they just done, right? So no debt, no mortgage, no car payment, no student loans, just nothing. Maybe they kind of broaden to one level of family outside. And so they look at paying off other people's mortgages and, and those sorts of things. They want to save for the kid's school. They want to save for the grandkid's school. They want to build emergency savings back. Maybe they never had emergency savings ever before. And now they can kind of put themselves in a situation where they're going to be okay no matter what. Or, you know, all of this has to do with the fact that they just want to be a better human being.
1: So when I hear you talk about they're going to pay off this mortgage and this person's mortgage and this person's mortgage, I mean, these are I'll just go there. I have those lottery ticket visions, right? right? If I won the lottery, What happens? You know, do I give a million here and a million there? And it would have to be a big lottery. But the problem is that if you make these decisions too quickly and you make promises too quickly, then you end up in a potentially bad situation. Right. So what's your advice? What are your, your top tips? Whether you're coming into. $10,000 $10,000 or whether you're coming into $10 million?
2: Well, it's a, it's a good point that you make real quick. I mean, there's a reason why on the airplane, they say, put your mask on first before you help somebody else with theirs, right? You got to get your act together before you can go out and try to save, you know, humanity for, for everything else. So, <laughs> or, when, your siblings. or your siblings or whatever else. So the first thing is really just kind of step back and give yourself a cooling off period, okay? Don't do anything. Go slow to go fast. Just sit on your hands. Don't do anything because there is this huge emotional impact that's going to be coming to you. You might feel guilty getting this money because you got this money due to the loss of a loved one or you're getting this money and your deadbeat brother or sister isn't getting anything. And so there's this emotional aspect that you have to work through. You could become a target, right? So you've got friends that you never know existed coming out of the woodwork. And, oh, you remember this and you owe me this or, I mean, all of these hard luck, sad sack stories that are coming at you, you know, just be aware of what's there. So the best way to work through that is, number one, just give yourself that cooling off period because after that, you can start the process of putting a plan together. So it's at that point where you start to figure out what are your goals? How does this sudden wealth play into all of the things that I was trying to do before? Um, Does it accelerate my retirement timeline? Does it accelerate my debt payoff or kids to school, grandkids to school timeline? Does it change what you want to accomplish? And if the answer is yes, and you're not already working with somebody... Then you are even more of a sitting target because all the stuff that you're thinking, you're just going to go down these rabbit holes and not have anybody to bounce anything off of. So between a cooling off period, putting goals together and plans in place to figure out what that looks like and working with somebody, that's going to help get you from point A to point B and not just lose everything in the process.
1: Yeah, this is 100% a get help situation. Find somebody that you trust. Somebody could be somebody like you from Edelman Financial Engines, could be an advisor that you're already working with. Get some help, which is essentially what Shaquille O'Neal realized.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing. So later in that video that you were talking about, that's what he did. Right. So he knew that he needed professional help. He talks about how he interviewed all of these different professionals to figure out who he wanted to work with as an advisor. And one of the things that he was told by one of these, you know, eventually trusted advisors was that if it seems too good to be true, it probably is, Mm -hmm. right? There's no one magical stock that you got to buy that's going to save you from everything else. There's no one magical insurance product that you buy or master limited partnership or this business that you can purchase or this multi-level or multi-family, you know, apartment. There's nothing that's there. So if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Because remember, not everybody that you talk to is going to be a fiduciary for portfolio management the way that we are at Edelman Financial Engines. So there's a lot of people out there who are operating because they want to get compensated first or it's better for them than it is for you. You need to find somebody who's going to sit on the same side of the table and work through all of these issues with you. Otherwise, like you said, you're still going to be in the same place or worse now that you've had this tremendous opportunity placed in front of you.
1: My father used to say that all the time. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. He also said, there's no free lunch. And he was right on both counts. We are gonna take a quick break. Andy, you're not going anywhere. We are making you do double duty today. So far, we've been talking about what happens when you are the recipient of sudden wealth. But when we come back, we're gonna look at the flip side of that issue. What if you are going to be giving away the assets that will make someone else suddenly wealthy. We'll look at how to do that in a way that makes sense financially, but also creates as little emotional turmoil as possible. Stick with us. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner. Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833 752 6333. Or visit their website at EFEWealthPlanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. We are back with Andy Smith. He is a wealth planner at Edelman Financial Engines. We're talking about sudden wealth, which by the way is a hot topic especially for baby boomers. According to Goldman Sachs, an estimated 30 trillion dollars trillion will transfer from the baby boomers to the next generation in the coming few decades. So, Andy, we talked about one side of the equation at the top of the show about when you receive sudden wealth. But let's talk about if you're one of those boomers who is leaving money to the next generation. Where do you start then?
2: So at Edelman Financial Engines, we believe that everybody needs an estate plan and it doesn't matter your age it doesn't matter your marital status. It doesn't matter your net worth. It doesn't matter whether you have kids. Everyone needs some sort of estate plan. Now, a lot of people don't think that they can do it on their own. And they're probably right, right? And, but it's not for the reasons that they think. Some people think that it's too expensive. Uh, some people think that their situation isn't complex enough to have kind of a formalized estate plan. Um, you know, Take the example that we used before where somebody was going to leave houses right. or a house to their adult children. A lot of times what we hear is that mom or dad will say, well, my daughter lives the closest, so I'm going to give it to her and she's going to know what to do for the brothers and sisters and I'm just going to let her deal with it. So mom and dad passes away. The daughter gets the home. Guess what? She's not technically obligated to give the siblings any of that house money, either as a pro rata ownership of the home or they sell it and divide up the proceeds. If she does, Now she has to worry about possible gifting issues, all because mom and dad really tried to do the right thing and give it to somebody they thought was the best person, but they didn't go through an appropriate estate planning process. So, again, people think that they don't need something because it's too expensive or their situation isn't complex enough. That's not the case. Everybody needs some sort of plan.
1: The other thing that happens with the house, because houses are really complicated. Sometimes yep. people think, all right, I'm just going to take one of my adult kids and I'm going to put them on the deed of the house. They think it's a hedge against losing the house if they have to go into long-term care, but it can be fraught as well.
2: Um, yes. So love the fact that they're thinking about this and this is what they're, they're trying to do, but all they've really done is create a greater potential liability and added some pretty significant tax complications. So what I mean by that is this. Let's say that the daughter that received the home that we talked about 30 seconds ago, uh, she's involved in a car accident, and somebody comes and just sues the pants off of her. Okay? Guess what? Because that daughter is on half of the house as the deed, now that house may become part of the judgment. So all of these things, again, that mom and dad are trying to do with Forward-looking estate planning, and do we give her the home or do we put her on the deed? Whatever day that the parents put that child on the home, now all of a sudden they split the cost basis. Right. So you've got liability issues. You have accessibility issues for any sort of of joint, you know, sort of uh, legal situation. Now you have a tax issue because that step-up basis now is lost on the parents passing because the. Mom and dad tried to put the kid on the deed and just changed everything in the process. So a lot of people like to think that what they're doing is trying to make things easier. And what it does is it just it creates problems that didn't need to be there from the beginning.
1: One of the most important scenarios, and and look, I get what you're saying, everybody needs an estate plan. But when there are children with different financial needs or children with special needs right. in the picture, it makes it even more important.
2: Right. So uh, we see this all the time. There are parents who want to leave different assets to different children. And it's either based on income, it may be based on other things in terms of emotional issues, physical issues, but it's, you know, sometimes it's based on what the kid has or what the kid's going to be able to do down the road. It's all about taxes, okay? And so when there's a large wealth inequality, the more well-off child may say that they don't need it and they don't want it. So what that allows you to do is leave it to the child who needs it more, Maybe there's, you know, some sort of situation where you're worried about Junior making this terrible mistake with the money. And it's not uncommon, right? 70% of situations are like this where somebody gets something and they just blow it all. And it's just gone. So here you might consider setting up a trust and that allows the child to access the money over a period of time. Sometimes when the children are minors, like Melissa and I have this, right? So God forbid something happens to both of us Well, they're not getting it all in one sum, and they're also getting it over a period of time with age gates or succession gates. Okay, In terms of a special need child or a special needs grandchild, um, there are very specific and complex legal entities that you might want to consider setting up. Um, because this not only provides care for the child after you're gone, but it also allows them to maintain their style and quality of living and eligibility for public assistance benefits. So not all one plan is going to be the same thing. The point is when you put this estate plan together, This is the catalyst to have some pretty serious conversations. You're going to talk to people. People are going to get upset. You go your own way. You come back. You keep talking. But the idea is the more that you can work through this right now, you're going to know who gets it, why they get it, what happens for them to get it, and then what happens when you're no longer around and have to... You know, just leave it up to the estate plan or the trust or the attorney or the kids to continue to make these decisions.
1: Well, you're going to know and they're going to know, which is, you know, if you don't want your kids relationships with each other to fall apart after you're gone you certainly don't want to be surprising them with any of this information.
2: You really don't. And that's why you have these conversations all together so that you can talk and then you can have these individual conversations so that everybody knows what you're trying to accomplish. You're not trying to jam up anybody down the road. What you're trying to do is you've spent a lifetime building this you don't want to make decisions there at the very end that are going to completely negate decades of hard work.
1: So you believe everyone should have an estate plan. Do you create these estate plans for your clients?
2: Uh Good question. So at Edelman Financial Engines, we are not a law firm. Uh, so we don't actually draft the estate plan documents themselves. What we do is we work with our clients to help kind of create a roadmap so that they know what they need to discuss and when and how and with whom all of these different components of the estate plan. All right. So oftentimes we'll interact directly with attorneys. We'll often interact directly with accountants and other outside professionals because we're sitting down with clients. We're talking through what their hopes and dreams and goals are. We're talking through the various parts of the estate right the investments the you know sometimes you know pension or other cash flow that's there uh real estate real property all of these things and we're talking about a lot of these decisions that clients have to make but we don't just kick them out it's like okay here you go and this is everything that you do we are able to continue to work with them through the creation of this estate plan so You're creating it. You're maintaining it. Sometimes you have to adjust it and derive different instructions from that plan so that when the clients sit down with the attorneys and say, this is what we need to formalize at this point, or codicils come in when you need changes, et cetera, et cetera, all of the advisors together, we as professionals, them as professionals, we are able to work together to create the best possible estate plan for that client's specific situation. It is not a one-size-fits-all approach.
1: And so if somebody wants to make sure that they have this sort of integrated approach, they can pick up the phone, they can call 833-PLAN-EFE, talk to an Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner, somebody like you. That's right. And now we are going to switch gears just a bit. We're going to talk a little bit more about the emotional side of sudden wealth syndrome. And we are fortunate to be able to do that with the man who actually coined the term. Dr. Stephen Goldbart is a clinical psychologist and co-founder of the Money, Meaning, and Choices Institute. It's an organization that specializes in helping people deal with the psychological issues and challenges that come with wealth, whether it's sudden or otherwise. Dr. Goldbart, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. So, what is sudden wealth syndrome, and how did you first realize that it was a thing?
3: Uh, back in the late nineteen nineties, at the beginning of the first tech boom, we began to see uh, relatively young people coming into our offices who were had been working and lucked out in terms of being part of a company where they either got great when IPO got great stock options, money went through the roof. And they were coming in with complaints, embarrassed about their complaints, about feeling anxious or uncertain about who they were. They were having problems with insomnia. They were concerned about, oh, do people like me for my money or for myself? And we began to take note that there was a cluster of issues and symptoms that we then coined the phrase sudden Wealth syndrome to describe that cluster of issues and symptoms.
1: Is there an amount of money that qualifies you for this or can it happen sort of at at any level?
3: So the rule of thumb we have is that the amount of money you've come into, whether it's through inheritance or through some other luck of the draw, whether it be work-related or the lottery, is life-altering. It's enough where, oh, I don't have to work anymore. I can expend on things I never imagined I could before. So it's a real challenge to your identity before that sudden or new wealth liquidity event.
1: It's interesting, you're describing, and I guess you would, real psychological factors, a psychological impact, not a financial planning challenge. What, What are the other symptoms that you see crop up and the other sort of psychological byproducts of coming into a lot of money at one time?
3: So let's start with the impact on identity because all the symptoms are consequent of that impact. So for example, I'm thinking of a young man who actually had worked in financial services and he was in his mid thirties and had a good life trucking along in his regular life when perchance he came into a whole lot of money and mind you, he understands money. He was a financial advisor, but found that after a month or two, How he saw himself as a person, how other people treated him had radically changed. So that shift in identity from who I think I am, who I've been for many years, to who I am today, as a consequence of all of a sudden having this large amount of money, caused all kinds of problems for this man. And he came in saying to say, in many ways, I wish this hadn't happened to me. Now, mind you, that's a strange thing to say, because I'm sure most of the listeners out there are saying, Suddenwell syndrome, I'll take that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a problem I wish everybody would have. I and mean, I think what's really hard to understand for the average listener is that financial liquidity events have an impact, and that impact is broad. It comes down to how we manage that impact. You know, so for some people, it raises anxieties about who they are, what they're going to do in their life, and so on. For others, it can result in fear that they're going to be taken advantage of, fear they're going to be hustled. Some people become very cloistered, and they don't want to tell anybody about it. Other people become very, very narcissistic and self-involved. At the end of the day, what everybody learns is that having a lot of money is not an endpoint. It's a tool. And it comes down to who you are, what your values are, and how you want to drive that new resource in your life.
2: Why is winning the lottery such a big problem for a lot of winners?
3: Good question, an important question. So imagine for a moment you're an entrepreneur and you spent 30 years building a business. You're now in your early 60s and you've slowly gotten used to the idea of what money is. You finally have um, a liquidity event. It's still gonna have an impact on you, but that's very different than A postal worker who goes into the 7-Eleven, buys a lottery ticket, is 25 years old, and all of a sudden has, you know, $20 million. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so maturation, emotional maturation, identity development, how clearly on who we are as people, our experience with money, our understanding of it, all play into the degree of impact of this event. You know, so the lottery winner is kind of at one extreme, because they've done virtually nothing. (laughs) other than buy a ticket and they've been lucky. And, and that differentiates them from everybody else because they're also a people envy and some people are very jealous of those folks because it's all luck.
1: We hear, though, about some lottery winners who handle it well, and we hear about those cases that are just disasters. And and the same is true, Andy and I were talking earlier in the show about this shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves phenomenon, where people who come into money blow through it in the course of a generation or two. How do you not do that?
3: So we've identified four stages of what we call wealth identity development. That starts with that initial honeymoon, wow, I got it, through whatever means, maturing to a place of, I have a plan for myself, my family, and my legacy. And that maturational process of going through those four stages can take a month for some people and a lifetime for others. So in part, it depends upon who they were before the liquidity event, but importantly, what they need to do they need to assemble a really good multidisciplinary team that will help educate them and guide them on their choices. The first communication we make to anyone who's coming to money is, congratulations, take your time, don't make any big decisions. Let's stop and think through the operational values that you want to have drive the spending, saving, and sharing of your money. Let's get really clear on those values and let those values determine your actions whether it's buying a new home or helping friends or giving to charity, whatever it is. So it's slow down, educate yourself, and psychologically speaking, understand that it may be strange, but normal to have anxieties and concerns about a wonderful event like a lot of money.
2: You talk about the anxiety aspect that people might feel or have when when they're talking about or thinking about this massive influx of money. Talk to people about those who might feel guilt or those who might feel shame with this particular windfall. There's two completely different responses, the anxiety versus the guilt and shame, but talk to people about how they need to maybe think differently if they are feeling guilty or if they are feeling shameful about this particular event.
3: Yes, so guilt and shame are natural psychological reactions to when our moral compass is being challenged. You know, so there's something I've done that I don't feel good about, or there's something I'm doing that has an impact on others, shame and guilt. And there's signals that we have that we're experiencing stress, and we have to dig into what that's about to recognize that, take hold of what that means emotionally, and then begin to formulate a plan. A strategy for handling that. Most importantly, it's not weird or strange. It's normal that when I make a shift in who I am as a person, that's going to radically change my lifestyle, that will change how other people perceive me, that I would have feelings about this matter and that it would affect how other people perceive me.
1: There's been a lot of research on what giving does to people psychologically, the impact that, that- doing for others can have on you as a as a human being and on your happiness and your total well-being as you look at the huge number of of people who've had sudden wealth fall into their hands over the last few decades dr goldbart do you see a thread in terms of those who have incorporated some plan of giving in their plans for the future?
3: Absolutely. I think that's certainly true among people who have had new wealth. It's also true of people who are doing intergenerational wealth planning. I mean, emotionally, for most people, the act of giving and helping others feels good. And it helps to balance the guilt feelings, The shift an identity that one has by having money when others don't. So, yes, um, giving is, and certainly family foundations, donor-advised funds, have powerfully expanded in the terrain of estate planning, in our experience. And, uh, you know, with some of our families, they want to give very, very little to their kids and most of their money to charity.
1: So interesting. Dr. Goldbard, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for helping us unpack this issue. There is a lot to talk about here. Thank you. And that is it, Andy, for this show. I want to thank you as always for being here. Absolutely. If you've got questions about how to deal with an unexpected windfall or inheritance, or you need help, When it comes to doing some planning on how you want to transfer your wealth to the next generation, give the folks at Edelman Financial Engines a call. Talk to one of our planners like Andy who can help you make the best financial decisions for you and your family. And be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or just visit everydaywealth.com where all of our episodes are available to you. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.
0: You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.